Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. In the last four weeks, we've been going through Paul's epistle to the Romans, and if you're unfamiliar with the word epistle, it essentially just means a letter. So they're a disenchanting of our lingo. So last week, Paul talked toward the end of his passage and said that humanity, that you and I, groan in our sufferings and in our tribulation. We long for the day of redemption. Now, we know that that day of redemption has come and gone. The cross has happened. But we also know that we still kind of see through a glass darkly. We still experience massive amounts of pain and suffering, and just the junk of life. So Paul says that right now, we inwardly groan. And then Paul goes on to say that not just we, but the world, the creation, he anthropomorphizes the cosmos. He says the cosmos too, not just you and I, groans in our turmoil, our our suffering, in the day-to-day crap. We yearn for the day of deliverance. We want redemption. We want all things to be made well. And so this week, Paul introduces a third character that's groaning. This character is the Holy Spirit. So there's this trio. There's us, you and me, creation, but also the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit doesn't groan because there's a lack in God or because the Holy Spirit is suffering in any way, this text makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is groaning for us on our behalf. God sees our suffering, our turmoil. God sees just the junk of lived reality and prays for us. And the text goes on to say that when we're in the midst of our hardships, we, don't, we do not know how to pray. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit who resides within us prays with, and I love this, sighs too deep for words. I think there's a mystery there, not just of we don't really understand how the Holy Spirit prays, but also it reflects our own anguish oftentimes of those, sometimes we just in the midst of horror and suffering, we just yell out or maybe even we cuss out. But the Holy Spirit makes sense of our suffering and intercedes for us on our behalf when we don't know what to say or when we're in such pain that we just can't bring ourselves to pray. Paul continues with this line of thinking in the next paragraph. In this translation, it says, we know that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. You're probably familiar, if you're familiar with this verse at all, with the popular saying, in in everything, or, or things work out for the good of those who love him. All things work out for the good of those who love him. And I'm here today to tell you that that's actually not a very good translation, and that this translation, the RSV, actually has it better. But instead of just telling you that without giving you any evidence, I'd say, look at these verses and notice that the sentence before and the sentence after has God as the subject of the sentence. God is meant to be the subject of this sentence too. It's not things work out 
for the good of those who love him, as if things had its own agency, as if things were the subject of the sentence. No, it's in everything God works out the good for the good for those who love him. And while you might be like, well, Ben, you're just splitting hairs there. But no, actually, in fact, I think that not only is this not a good translation because of what I just said of, of looking at the passage before and after, but also when you're thinking about Paul's thought, it really doesn't make any sense. Paul is not an Enlightenment optimist. Paul doesn't think that everything is awesome. Paul does not think that things are just kind of getting better and better. Paul, instead, can call a spade a spade. He sees things as they actually are. Now, all things work together for the good of those who love him. I go to the Beth Israel, the hospital, quite a bit to visit people from our parish and people who just call up and who want a, a priest. And the last thing I would want to do if I went to the hospital would be to say to someone, this thing that you're dealing with, it just it works out for the good. No, that would be the worst. In fact, if someone told me that, I would lose my mind. In fact, I don't know about you, but you probably, during times of suffering and grief, have been told things, and there are probably very well-meaning things, but when you think about what they're actually saying, they drive you crazy. And Because you love them, you don't strangle them, um, but essentially you would like to, and then you just kind of throw it off to, you know, they're just trying to be helpful. But things, my friends, do not work out for the good. Everything is not awesome. Maybe you don't know this yet, but in your life, but I'm sure many of you who have had far more experiences of this than me, but out of nowhere you can get a call from a doctor and your whole life can change. Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone whom you know or someone who you love. Out of nowhere, news comes that you weren't expecting and it changes everything. And it's the worst news ever. Maybe for some of you, you've experienced this in your jobs. You're going through life, you're going doing your nine to five, or, you know, in New York City terms, you're like eight to eight, I guess. But you're going through and you're thinking, everything's fine. But then one day you come into the office and they tell you they don't need you anymore. And not only are you out of a job, but you don't even know who you are anymore because your life was so defined by what you do. Or maybe you were in a relationship and things were great. In fact, this was everything that you wanted and more. And out of the blue, one day, the person whom you loved said it's over. And you didn't know why. And it was the worst thing in the world. Friends, things do not work out for the good. Things do not have this benevolent agency on their own. The good news of this text is that Paul is not telling us, live in denial. Everything is okay. You've heard this said before. Buck up. You're fine. Paul is saying that not everything works for the good. In fact, if you read this letter, there's a whole lot of things that he say, says are just not what God wills. It's not what we should want. And so we don't have to give ourselves these horrible adage or like sayings to try to make us feel better. No, we can call a spade a spade. We can see things for what they really are. In everything, in the junk, 
in the pain, in the suffering, in the stuff we wouldn't wish upon our enemies. God works for the good of those who love him. Now that might be hard to swallow when things are really tough, when you've lost your job, when you've lost someone you've loved, when you get that phone call that changes your entire life. This isn't trying to make it okay. Paul is essentially just saying how things are. What I find helpful about this text is instead of giving us optimism, instead of telling us things are going to be fine, Paul gives us instead hope. And in the rest of this passage, that's exactly what he does. He stares a thing down and doesn't back down from it. He doesn't say cancer is somehow, you know, necessary for us to become better people or something like that. Maybe you've heard something like that, but suffering was necessary. Our God is self-sufficient. Our God does not need suffering to work out his purposes. But Paul does believe that we live in a world of cosmic powers. Now, how you want to understand that, I'll, I'll leave up to you. I think the best theologians have tried to figure out forever what that means when Paul talks about the powers and principalities that work against the purposes of God. But what this text is saying is that despite the stuff, despite the junk, despite the powers, despite humans or our bosses or something like that, that cut us down, God, nevertheless God, is working for the good of those who love him. And that is why he can go on to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul is not essentially trying to, again, take back what he's saying and saying everything's fine. Paul is recognizing that things are against us. And the, the people who Paul is writing to are experiencing suffering and persecution and all kinds of ills. And he's not saying that these are fake or imaginary. He's saying that despite those things, God is working for our good. And how does he show this? Well, he goes on to say that God did not withhold his own son for us on our behalf. Now, what does that show us? Now, if you remember the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, Abraham at one point goes and he goes to sacrifice his son Isaac. Only God prevents it. God will not let it happen. Abraham was willing to not withhold his own son for God. But here, we see in this text and at the cross, a reversal of that story. God here does not withhold his own son. Better said, God does not withhold God's own life for you and for me. This is how he's shown that he is for us. God has come down and entered into our suffering, our grief, our anguish, our turmoil, and took it upon himself. God not only knows about it, but God has experienced this in his son, Jesus Christ. And despite experiencing the pain, the grief, and the sorrow, he does not withhold his own life. He, he goes the whole way. So Paul uses this how much more type of argument 
If God did not withhold his own son for us, then how much more will he give us everything else? He's essentially saying that God is going to go the whole way for us, that we need not lose heart in the midst of our pains and our sufferings. For why would God go through all the trouble of pouring out his own life on our behalf, of experiencing our own, our grief and our anguish, not to go the whole way? And that is when Paul goes on to say, talk about things that could separate us from God. Theoretically, he says, in theory, humans could. In theory, cosmic powers could. Only he says that nothing can in actuality. God went the whole way so that your boss can't separate you from the love of God. The way people define you cannot separate you from the love of God. The cosmic powers that I talked about earlier, despite the fact that they are stronger than you and me, cannot separate us from the love of God. He goes so far as to say, who shall bring a charge against us? Well, it's not other humans. It's not cosmic powers. The only person it could be is God himself. But God won't do that. For God is in the business of justifying, it says. And if he doesn't condemn, who will? In a moment, we're going to read in the Nicene Creed, we're going to read about the person of Christ in that second paragraph. And we'll read how he is the one to come to judge the living and the dead. And he will. Only the good news of this text is that he won't condemn. He comes and he comes to justify. He's come to see us through to the end. He's come to intercede for us on our behalf. So what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, or things? Paul says nothing shall, not even ourselves, not even in the midst of our sufferings and griefs when we can't even bring ourselves to pray. Paul will have the Holy Spirit do it, or God will have the Holy Spirit do it for us on our behalf. And to, to close it all out, I love that how Paul is, um, he's kind of like me, he's, he's a little bit overdramatic. Paul, what I love about Paul is in his letters you see that he obviously had very, very low lows, but he also had very high highs. And here we see the low low before the high high. He quotes the psalmist in saying, for thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now here Paul is probably being a bit a tad over dramatic. But I don't know about you, but I'm a tad over dramatic. I'm over dramatic not when I'm being persecuted or when, you know, like a real suffering comes my way, but I have these questions of why God why when I stub my toe and I think that all is collapsing everywhere. For thy sake I am being killed all day long. I am regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But what I love about this is that Paul is still calling a spade a spade. He's still not backing down. Things don't work out for the good. The suffering that you've experienced is real. And you don't have to keep comparing it to people in Africa or something like that. Real suffering, but yours is real too. Paul's is real too. 
Paul is saying that in the midst of these things, despite stuff, despite the fact that sometimes we can't even bring ourselves to pray, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not because we've conquered or we've won, but because Christ has loved us and won. And because of that, he says that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. No stuff, no things can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you ever wanted a text to assure you of your standing before God, this is that text. Go to this text whenever you do not feel assured whenever you feel defined by the things that happen to you or by the things that you do. This is more true of you than those things. Paul does not offer us blind enlightenment optimism here. And thanks be to God for that. Paul instead offers us hope that in the midst of the things, in the midst of the suffering and the anguish. God has not left us to our own devices. God has not left us to the stuff of this world. God is not only with us, but in some mysterious, strange way, God is working through these things, this stuff, for our good. That doesn't mean God is throwing that stuff our way. No, in everything, God works for our good. And thanks be to God for this word of hope, not optimism, but this word of hope that despite those things, God is for us. Those things do not mean that we are not okay or that we are not good enough. Despite those things, God is for us and present Everything is not awesome, but we do have the hope, as St. Julian of Norwich said, that ultimately all shall be well. In the midst of the pain and the sufferings of this life, it is very hard to bring ourselves to say all shall be well. And if you're not ready to say all shall be well, I don't blame you. But there will be a day when the sufferings of this life will cease and every tear will be wiped from our eyes, and not just our eyes, but from the eyes of those whom we love. And I don't think we're going to be given an explanation for the sufferings. I don't think God is going to say, in fact, I know God is not going to say, here's why you had to suffer that really deeply painful thing in order to be with me in paradise. God is going to look at us and love us forever and forever. And that is our hope. He is for us to the end. He did not withhold his own son. He will see us through despite everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving.
Thank you. <laughs>